Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Uh, Scripture reading for today is from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And I'll be reading from the King James Version. That's chapter 4, book of Mark, starting with verse 26. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed unto the ground. And should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth fruit, bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. May God add his blessings to his word. Thank you. I want to thank everybody for making this such a festive day. Our musicians and uh, decorators. Ever wonder why we have fruits and vegetables and stuff on the altar here? Cornucopias and... You know, there's a connection to the idea of harvest of fruits and the idea of harvest of souls. For the resurrected Christ is referred to as the first fruits. Yeah. I have bemoaned the fact in the past that we are somewhat removed, in fact, I think very much removed, from the sort of agrarian uh, metaphors and images that are so prevalent in scripture and in the 19th century writings that are so important to our church. We're removed from them because we are thoroughly urban and thoroughly specialized. I do not own a green thumb. It's a good thing that my survival doesn't depend on farming. Some of you probably do have a green thumb but wouldn't know it because you haven't had a plant in your whole life somewhere. You're off working, the gardener takes care of the lawn, you pay the bill for the water in the summer, and that's the extent of it. Some of you do care for things, grow them and and plant them. Maybe even a few of you have gardens. But we're really removed from this world of, of the life cycle and the cycle of life being that which we hang our own survival hopes on. You see, when you can fly all the fresh produce, even organic produce you want from Chile or from Peru or from Mexico or from some other place, if you can eat Canadian wheat when you live in California, uh, we don't even drink California orange juice most of the time. We drink Florida orange juice. How absurd is that? And yet... This is the world in which we live, which a few farmers with thousands of acres and massive equipment uh, and tremendous uh, structures do the impossible. They raise tens of millions of tons of produce for us to eat. Well, that's why we have these gorgeous decorations. That's why it's not just to make us all feel like fall, even though it really feels more like the end of summer right now with the Santa Anas and the heat. It's not to uh, make us feel nostalgic for uh, 
some sort of illusory uh, connection to something we no longer have. It's to symbolize the word that is our sermon title today. Fecundity. How many of you know this word? A few of you. Good. Well, I'll get to learn a new word today. And I'll get to that in just a few minutes. I had a professor of Old Testament in college. And he used to talk about the fertility rites that surrounded the worship of Baal, Baal, and some of these ancient gods that existed in Israel's early days. And temple prostitution and the sorts of rites and rituals and things that went on with all of this. And I'll never forget the look on his face as he cast down his eyes and said, it was unimaginable, he would say. And the reason that sticks in my mind is because every theology major in that room was fully imagining the scene being described. And we do shake our heads and say, oh, how could they be so far afield? And yet in reality, we're almost just as disconnected the other direction. Because whether we like it or not, the very metaphor of spiritual productivity is based in the very earthly metaphors of physical productivity. Whether we're talking about the productivity of the harvest and the earth, or whether we're talking about the productivity of generations and generativity and procreation. And so our metaphors for understanding the harvest brought to God is based in the very, very physical kind of reality of harvest and of fertility. And this is where this word fecundity goes. It is based in the word fecund, which means quite simply able to produce. Let me give you a more accurate definition. It says capable of producing offspring or fruit, vegetation, etc., in abundance, prolifically fruitful, productive, and then in its form as it is in the title, fecundity, the quality of being fecund, that is to say, capable, especially in female animals, of producing young in great numbers, fruitfulness or fertility as of the earth, the capacity of abundant production as in imagination or invention. Well, I have a feeling that the church would look very differently if we were fecund. Am I using a new word too soon? We are uh, more or less capable of producing generations physically. We've demonstrated that. We are more or less capable of being productive in our work lives and earning a living, which also is a big part of keeping our families and this church family going. But I wonder sometimes about our spiritual fecundity. I wonder sometimes about our spiritual productivity. And I wonder this because if we were to just for argument's sake, take the baptismal certificates uh, that have been issued, 
the baptisms that have occurred in this church since I've been here, which this December will be four years. Three, sorry. My wife says three. Why did I think four? Three years. It just feels that way. Oh, some days it feels like 14, and other days it feels like I've been here four months. So it does go both directions. You know how those mood swings are. Yes, men have cycles too. Um, three years. In three years, we've, we've baptized roughly, I'm going to say 35, 40 people, which is a lot. It is a lot. But now let's break that down. How many of those were our children and how many of those were people who God brought to us? Well, I would say over half were our own children. Well over half. And so for argument's sake, let's say we've had 10 baptisms, which I think is actually high, in three years of people who are not children of ours or connected to our immediate families. Now, we have on the book somewhere between, depending on the year, 240 and 293 people. And if we excluded our shut-ins and excluded our out-of-state, out-of-town folk and our uh, missing-in-action folk, and if we excluded our small children, um, we could probably say uh, closer to 200. Let's say we have an active membership of 200. Now, what is 10 divided by 200? I'm not a mathematician. Somebody help me out. 0. 0.5. 0.05. That is the fertility rate of our congregation. In three years, each of us has produced 0.05 souls for the kingdom of God. 0.05. One twentieth of a soul. Are you depressed yet? Some of you are shaking your head. Yeah, I'm... Because the reality is, is some of you are, are more productive, some of us are less productive. That's kind of how it goes. And this is typical. I mean, one field will produce 40 bushels of wheat per acre and another field might only produce 20. Some fields are tougher than others. Some soil is better than others. Some places are easier to work than others. So productivity is not a given in every circumstance in every place. But I wanted to use this this concept to challenge us today a little bit, to think about our spiritual productivity at this time of harvest celebration. I love the fact that we are surrounded by symbols. I love it. I love the fact. If you listened to the metaphors and symbols of the words in our hymns today, or in the song that we just sang, the idea of the connection between the harvest, that is to say the wheat that's harvested, or the grain, that which is bread, that which is life, like we talked about two weeks ago, and the way in which we lay ourselves on the altar as fruits before God, that is to say these things no longer symbolize the vines that we have in our backyard growing something. They symbolize what we're connected to, the true vine, 
and the harvest that is coming in us. What God is working out in us and through us to others. I love the fact that we're surrounded with colors of the fading of fall because the Bible teaches quite clearly that unless something dies, it cannot generate again into something new. We have this cycle of of planting and harvesting and the harvest and the fruits going to seed and producing yet another generation. Or have we lost each other on this one? So if we go to our scriptures today, we have a couple of places that I'd like to go. The first is Isaiah 55. We're going to start in verse 10. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 1 because it sets us up very nicely. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. Right away, Isaiah is blending these two concepts, bread and life, nourishment and thriving, water, honey, milk, that which quenches thirst and fills and nourishes and satisfies. And we, from our uh, previous week, understand what Jesus was saying about that. I am the bread of life. I give you water that if you drink of, you'll never be thirsty again. Where do you think Jesus got that idea? Isaiah 55. He knew these scriptures intimately and very well. I will make an everlasting covenant with with you, my faithful love promised to David. I've made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and command, commander of the peoples, etc. Then we go down to verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower. And bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of the briars the myrtle will grow. And there, there, this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. New metaphors. You see, Isaiah is responding at the end here to the curse, isn't he, in Genesis 3? The opposite of thorns and thistles. The opposite of difficulty and pain. This is the end result. But in the meantime, the Lord speaks a word in 55.11. My word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty. 
I'm supposed to be one who preaches the word of the Lord. You are supposed to be ones who are hearers and receivers of this word. But in addition, we don't just teach a priesthood. We teach a priesthood of all believers. So you are to engage the word of the Lord yourselves, are you not? You are to engage the word yourselves, receiving it as water from heaven, which will not return to God with nothing. As you receive this water and it, it nourishes it wets. The seed sprouts, doesn't it? Into the harvest. Is this not what the Bible just, just said? Yeah. Fecundity. We are a people who were meant to be productive. Not just physically. Not just um, in terms of the propagation of the species not just in terms of these sort of physical realities, but spiritually, productive, fecundity. So Isaiah speaks of a reality, a spiritual certainty, and that is that if we receive this rain and we let it soak into us, if the word of God is taken into us deeply, it will nourish, it will water, it will sprout, it will generate, it will create within us new life, which will be productive. Isn't that what it's implying? So what does it mean when 200 people collectively are responsible for, even if we want to change the numbers and say 40 souls in three years? What does that mean? What does that tell us about the cycle of rain and generativity, receiving the word and letting it grow in us and produce? What does it tell us about our spiritual lives and generativity? I hope it's not all about just negativity. I hope it challenges us because the rain is there, is it not? We're in a time of drought right now, so don't look to the physical world for a, a, a back-me-up on this. And sometimes I know I go through times of spiritual drought as well. Anybody been there? Israel spent how long in the desert? That wasn't a spiritually productive time for many of them either. They died there. It was the next generation that got to the promised land. Let's not pretend that that wasn't a pretty rough, pretty rough go. Our lives are not all about receiving water and food. There are times of dryness and drought and desert and difficulty. And our spirits are parched. And we don't understand where God is. And I've preached to some of these things because we've been there. We've experienced it together and individually. We've raised our voices and said, are you asleep? And he's there. He is there. Most assuredly there. But our experience is of times of abundance and times of tightness and lack. Our experience is times of refreshment and times of dryness. Difficulty feels unproductive in our lives. But the reminder of the harvest time of fall, which we're so disconnected with, the reminder of these beautiful decorations, the symbols that we engage this season are symbols not just of thankfulness, but symbols 
of productivity and our need to bring ourselves as offerings, as gifts to the altar. And to seek to nourish our lives with the waters that fall from heaven and the bread of heaven that we might not only live, but might be fecund, able to reproduce in vast numbers. There are all kinds of books on contagious Christianity. And on the other side, all kinds of metaphors for the ways, or or, or not metaphors, I'm sorry, all kinds of programs for, quote, witnessing. Many of us are turned off by them, intimidated by them, Some of them don't fit our personalities or our temperaments. Some of them don't fit where we think we belong or what we're called to. Some of us are scared to try. But God didn't make us all the same. You see the abundance down there? The onion is not the asparagus. And the squash is certainly not the bread. And the sweet potato is in no way the flour. Each are different but each have produced. And so it is with our body. Each of us are different, but somehow we are called to a productivity. It is a promise from God that if we receive His Word into our souls, if we drink deeply of His well, if we eat of the bread of heaven, if we are willing to let the Spirit that flowed over the water in Genesis regenerate our lives, and move our lives from chaos to order spiritually. We're promised that there will be a life of productivity. If we are attached to the vine, Jesus said, the Father will prune that we might be more productive, but what are we guaranteed to be? Fruitful. And we're told that those branches that aren't fruitful get pruned off and tossed into the fire. There's this notion that a well-groomed vine of branches attached to the source of life will in fact generate, will produce grapes, will produce a harvest. That when fall comes, the wine will be made. We're headed up to Napa Valley this Thanksgiving. And I have a feeling that still in the valley will be the smell of fermented grapes. If you've been to Pacific Union College and driven through the Napa Valley, you know in the fall it just permeates everything, the smell of fermentation. And the beautiful golden leaves and red leaves as they're falling off the vines. And very little fruit left because the harvest has already happened. And it's gorgeous and cool and crisp. Productivity, fecundity. And let's go back to Mark 4. Mark 4. Lots of agrarian, lots of farming metaphors in Mark. And in this section, there's the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed. And here's the parable of the growing seed again. 
He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk and then the head and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This gives us a little clue, doesn't it? Can you make the seed grow? Do we understand the growth mechanism within it? The automatism, I call it. That which is planted within the seed grows into something in like kind. Will a mustard seed produce a pine tree? No. An acorn? Will it produce tomatoes? Each according to its kind. The seed is planted, and we don't control the growth. The growth is built within, and the heavens water, the spirit waters. And when it's ready to, ready to harvest, there we are with the sickle, ready to take it, to reap it, and to eat. Jesus describes the harvest as what? Plentiful. He says the harvest is abundant. It's plentiful. It's out there. But what are we shy of? Laborers, harvesters, reapers. Again, metaphors were not connected to at all. In other words, people, there's money to be made out there, but not enough people to go make the money. There's opportunity, but not enough creativity and energy and effort going to the opportunity that's there to pull in the money. If we were to have a corporate meeting and describe it in those terms, how many of you would know a little bit more about what we're talking about than with farming? One of you is honest. Okay. We know how to make a living. And in the old days, farming was living. Bread was life. still is. We just don't see it or experience it that way. And what this parable gives us a hint at is our job is twofold, isn't it? What is the job? To plant the seed. Do we make the seed? We generate the seed? No. And to what? Put the sickle in and reap. And we bring living souls as the offering before God upon the altar. Well, I don't have anything exciting or sexy to share in the wake of that. I don't have anything to improve upon that for you with. I just know this. That we are to be mindful of the investment that is represented in the act of seeding and mindful of the return that is plentiful as God waters and grows a harvest for us to reap. And he tells us the harvest is plenty. And I would love to see that harvest reaped here in great abundance. 
as we are blessed by God, as we have so much to be thankful for, as we celebrate His goodness, His kindness, His creativity, His abundance, His generosity, all of those things, as we eat fabulous foods this week, and I hope you do, and those of you who are very careful, go ahead and have that little slice of cheesecake or pumpkin pie anyway, because it's part of the deliciousness and the variety and the wonder and the experience of it all. You can go back to your diet Friday. I know I will. And in this time of celebration and in this time of remembrance and thanksgiving and in this time of a recognition of a harvest that we are removed from, let's as a people do some praying, do some thinking, do some meditating on what it might look like for us to be spiritually productive in the same way that the earth is materially productive. For the seed that is planted in us to grow to something that produces a harvest. And for us in turn to plant the seed and to be ready to receive the harvest. For God wants His church to be healthy and He wants His church to grow. One quick aside, I have heard people say, that church is getting too big. I don't like it there anymore. I don't know anybody. You heard that before? We should be so lucky. Because here's the truth. You will never know well more than 30 people at a time. You just won't. You don't have the time to know more than 30 people well at any given time. That's the way it is. So, whether the church is 30 people or 30,000 people, you will always know how many people well? 30. What's changed in this equation? Nothing. Except that now we've fulfilled God's command to fecundity. Say the word with me, fecundity. Okay, how many of you remember what it means? To be fecund, or to be, as in small animals, like a rabbit, as productive as a rabbit. What would happen if we could reproduce spiritually the way a rabbit reproduces physically? We would be petitioning to the Santa Clarita to build a sanctuary the size of this entire three-acre lot inside of a year, wouldn't we? We'd be renting Grace Baptist as a satellite church. We'd be doing all kinds of things if that were the level of productivity. So my prayer, my encouragement, my bit of grace to you this day is let's receive the goodness of God. Let's drink of the water he leads us to. Let us eat of the manna of heaven and the bread of life. Let us declare ourselves among the redeemed and let us be attached to the true vine who is Christ. And in all of that, let us not resist the prunings of the Father. In all of that, let us not re- 
mourn the fact that the seed must die before it sprouts up again. And all of that, let us not deny that it is the water and the sunshine and the things that we have no control over that takes the seed and the miracle of life within it and moves it into something edible or productive. And in the same way, let us not resist the opportunity to grow in that grace, in the sunshine and water of his love. As we celebrate the abundance he's given, let us not forget to pursue the abundance that is the crop to come. That we should plant seed. That we should be ready as priests and kings for the next harvest. That we together might grow in the grace and in the understanding of how all of this works. The fecundity. The fertility. The productivity the grace of God himself.